We are in Mark chapter 4, as we do Just Jesus Stories. We're so scattered here. One of these days I'm going to be able to work from the floor, but I can't because you're hiding in the wings. And I'm aware that the preacher went so long that people didn't have enough time to discuss stuff with each other before class. I'll have a word with him later this week. He shall be severely punished. I shall make him eat chocolate and watch golf. Mark chapter 4. Oh, people are already coming forward. I'm good. Verse 21. These are more parables. He told them that these would be hard to get. We call these aha stories. If you remember last week, we talked about Milton Erickson and the like. So, starting at verse 21, chapter 4, the book of Mark. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, we read that and we go, what? And that's the whole point of it. There are things that Jesus wants to reveal. He did not come here to bring light and then put it under a bowl. This is very, very important. You will all of your life run across Christians who believe there are secret codes and secret messages. Do you remember about 20 years ago, it was the Genesis Code. That was a big book. There are others, prophecy codes. And if you know how to read the prophecies right, then you know this. Others, it'll be the Gospel of Thomas or hidden gospels out there somewhere. And there's hidden stuff that God only wants the elect to know. Jesus comes right out and says, I'm the light. You don't bring light in to hide it. What I say is going to become obvious. I don't come to hide things. I come to make things open and plain. Once again, this is very important. I used to have a way of explaining the way I was coming back to God. Because when I came back to faith, I severely aggravated a lot of those in my old religious tribe because I didn't hold to all of their traditions. And over the years, I've held to less and less, or fewer and fewer. And that has frustrated people. So this is the phrase I would use. I would say, I go to the Yugoslavian goat herd school of theology. Now, this is how old it is. There's no Yugoslavia anymore. I said, if the Bible were to drop at the feet of a Yugoslavian goat herd in his own language, and he were to read it, would I get that out of it? And if the answer is no, it might not be in there. It might have been read into the text. I brought that up and had a couple of guys at the, at the back one time very upset with me and said, but, but, if, but what, what does that mean about instrumental music? And I said, it means it's a non-issue. And oh, they went ballistic. And I said, the only reason you're upset is because somebody told you to be. God didn't come to hide. I remember the first time we started thinking about maybe it was okay. And we, we were barely off the boat from Scotland at that stage. And I think it was Cammie that said it. I don't think it was me. And this is a good thing. I would never say a bad thing. Um, I, that said, it would seem that if it's something that would send you to hell, Jesus would have brought it up. Yeah. That's a good point. 
By the way, she's always been smarter than me. She's just quiet, and that's another reason why she's smarter than me. Um, the, as, as I think it was Le, uh, Abraham Lincoln that said, um, it's better to be silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Um, Lincoln's had, had a lot of quotes on the internet about the internet, which are questionable. Um, Jesus came here to reveal, not to hide. That's what this means. Don't get all philosophical and deep and Gnostic here. It just means you light a candle to reveal. Jesus is the light. I'm here to reveal. Then consider carefully what you hear. I want to stop there. Um, do you remember, some of you were Bible school people when you were growing up. Do you remember the little song, Be careful little ears what you hear? Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little feet where you go. That's a great song. That's, you know, here I am at my advanced age, almost dirt, and I still remember it. Should I really be listening to this? Should I really be putting this in my head? What voices are you listening to? Just like the sermon, when you listen to other voices other than God, you can get kicked out the garden. Be careful who you're listening to. So, but also not just who, but what you hear. We do this. We will say to somebody, no, wait, if we follow that political road, we could end up where the fascists were in 1930s. Oh, you're calling me a fascist. Oh, great, that's what you heard? Instead of saying, I don't want to head on in a direction that could be dangerous one day, you heard me say, you're already there. No, but that's what we're trained to do, isn't it? To the youth one time, I brought this up. I have a cousin named Andy Mackay. Now, he pronounces it Andy McKay because he's American, distant cousin. He is one of the world's greatest fingerstyle guitarists. If you've never heard of him, you need to go look for Andy McKay, M-A-C-K-A-Y, uh, on YouTube and put in Africa. He does a solo version on a fingerstyle guitar of Toto's Africa, which will blow you away. But, and that's not even his best song. I said, I want you to go look at that on YouTube and then look at all the thumbs up and then look and people put thumbs down. Why? What did you hear that was wrong there? And the answer, there's nothing wrong there. They went looking to say negative. They went looking to do bad. In the last 24 hours, I've had five, six messages come in my text box confirming that I want to change my password on Facebook. I don't. It's under attack again. I've had people set up false accounts with my picture. Uh, I've had, you know, and, and again, it's, they didn't hack me because I know not to click on links and do a lot of this stuff. What they did is set up a whole separate account just to attack this church. You got that kind of time? That means everybody where you live is fed and, and taken care of and has clothes and knows Jesus and I don't think so. What are you hearing? So as I talked to the teens about this, I pulled out, and I don't have a one with, oh, I do, hang on. And it doesn't work. And I just put a dot on my hand, and I went like this, and I said, what do you see? And they all said, well, I see a dot. And I said, why don't you see the clean hand around the small dot? Why do we focus on the dot? Jesus says, be careful what you hear. 
How many fights in a marriage are about looking for the sensitive trigger word? We even have that phrase now, trigger words, trigger warning. Seriously? Jesus says, be careful what you hear. And then goes further. This is another version of Matthew chapter 7, his next phrase. The measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Now that's a good and a bad thing. You always find fault with people. What are they going to do with you? You find fault. You always offer people love. What's going to happen to you? You get loved. People, I get, I often talk about the emails and such that are harsh. I get more love than I deserve every week. From this church, from strangers that listen on podcasts and send in glowing thank yous to our church, I get that that I do not deserve. And I think the only reason is because we're a church that believes in giving out love, and so it comes back. What measure are you using? Not just, and it's a, that covers all of life. How much are you giving to God? I think it's a serious question. My wife and I, we're feeling guilty. We've always given, well, about, not always, that's not true. In the last couple of decades, three decades or so, we've always, we've given more than 10% before tax income to God. And we're, we're not bragging there. It is merely, we really want to be invested in what God is doing. And we do that locally, and then we do any, like we do two Compassion International kids, that's in addition to what we give here, that, that you know, more than 10%, that's all I'm going to say. But I'm feeling awkward now, because we give automatically with the app, and here comes the plate, and I, do I lay my phone in it? Um, but, and I try to go, I, I give, on, what's the universal symbol for I gave online? I'm, I'm doing hand gestures, like I'm trying to order a ham sandwich in France. So, you know, I'd like a ham sandwich. You know, what, what, what do you do here? I want to give because I have found in my life, first of all, I, I didn't know this originally. I was taught by two different people. Cammie's dad is one of them, how to be generous. And the generosity kept stunning me. And I found out, it does come back to you. Not necessarily dollars. I'm not trying to be prosperity gospel here. It comes back to you in love and grace and kindness and peace. and It comes back to you. Jesus is saying, watch out. What you give is what you get back. I hate to do this, but it's like the old Beatles song, you know, about love, the love you make is equal to, the, you know, that. It's about who are you going to be when you walk into the room? Are you going to be light? Then you'll get light back. You also may get the darts and, and the like. We, we all get that. We know there's a cross to this. But then he goes further. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now that seems immensely harsh, but you've got to put it into the context of the life they've lived. Those that have and are giving and working it get it back. Those that have refused to give end up getting even less. I love music history. And so as I drive about, I listen to to biographies of bands and and different artists. I'm taking with me, we're going on vacation uh, at the end of the week. Three books are already on my Kindle that are biographies of, you know, Johnny Cash, Roger Miller and the like, because I'm into that. I just did uh, Hank Williams and now 
uh, I'll finish today probably on way home listening to 15 hours of Mike Love of the Beach Boys book, his latest book. I love to hear all of this. But I keep seeing tr- the same pattern again and again. They get, they squander, they make stupid mistakes sexually, make stupid mistakes with money, and many of them end up dying alone and unloved. And it's just tragic. Uh, God says, watch out. The church I grew up in divided so often, they don't have very many big churches because they kept dividing and shrinking and their kids didn't want anything of it and they went away and didn't come back. This is tragic. And look at the places that have love. People have asked me, because I go places, and they'll say, what programs does Fourth have to grow? And I'm going, you know, <clears throat> you don't have a program. You know, we, we, you know, what literature are you using? Um, the Gospels? Basically, we say, love God, love each other, they'll follow you home. And they are, aren't they? And they're singing. It's a gentle way of winning souls. God's just saying, use what you got, or you're going to lose what you've got. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. Think of it this way. Any of you have an old instrument that your parents or grandparents left behind? Auto harp, a piano, a guitar, that you don't play. It's off in a closet or off in a room or under a cover. It's going to break. It's going to twist and ruin. I don't know how many priceless Gibsons and Martins are out there ruined in closets right now because people didn't pick them up and use them. They didn't then either pass them on either thinking, oh, no, this is my great-granddad's, and he wanted it to rot as kindling. And my, what? Seriously? Let it, I'm not asking for your guitar. I've got guitars. The point being, what you've got needs, and give it to somebody else, though. If you're not using it, give it to somebody else. It should, we should be getting rid of stuff. We used to live, and I say used to because we've changed a bit. We used to live by a rule at our churches if you've not worn it, go into your closet. If you've not worn it in six months, give it away. And that can be really harsh. Because you'd be seeing stuff, and, oh, I'm going to be skinny again. No, let it go. Let it go. You know, um, oh, that might come back in fashion. If it does, that would be tragic. Let it go. <laughs> that, that whole thing. Now, the reason we had to adjust, we moved to Michigan, and sometimes you don't wear your summer clothes, but that one week... So we, we had to keep that. Um, summer is lovely. I missed summer one year up there because I think I was in the bathroom. But we kept some stuff. So we, we made adjustments. We didn't make it legalistic. But Cammie and I still go through our house and say, this needs to go. We have learned that the more you give, God actually does fill up your life. It may not be with more money and stuff. But he, now you understand what this is all about. Um, as one of the earliest Christian documents, the Didache, uh, a book on how to organize a church that was considered scripture for a while. It really isn't, but it's an excellent early book. said, do not let your hands be open for receiving, but closed for giving. That's that's a phrase that's kept with me a long time. Another one, just uh, and then we'll move on. John Wesley was off preaching when somebody wrote up and told him that his house had burned down. And he said, thank God, 
One less thing to worry about. Whoa. <laughs> I guess he had good insurance. I'm not sure. Um, that was a joke. They didn't have insurance back then. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because a harvest has come. But what's that all about? Relax. Just do your job. God will do everything else. I resist, and I will continue to resist, although not mean, I will continue to resist those that want me to make a five-year or ten-year plan for the church. I don't want to plan, outplan the Holy Spirit. I don't know what he plans to do. I just want to be there when he does it. My job is to sow the word. God's job is to handle the germination of the seed, the growing, what is harvested, what is not harvested. Your job is just to do your job. Don't worry about everything else. I kid my wife because Cammy is very much a recycler. And uh, where we live now, the recycle rules are weird. We'll take this, but we won't take that. That goes over to this one. Nope, nope, not that one. That one has to go over to that one. And she does it. I used to kid her about it. I said, do you really? God does plan to end the planet one day. You're aware of that, right? It's not like he's going to, he's, all right, we're going to destroy it on Tuesday. Oh, no, she saved it again. She threw the paper in the recycle thing. Well, I'm, we're kidding. I'm kidding. She doesn't shoot me. We're good. Sometimes we can be so overwhelmed with the things we have zero control over. Instead, just do your job. You know, the old starfish story, you've heard a thousand times, you know, about the guy walking on the shore, a bunch of starfish up there that have been washed up by a storm. He picks one, throws it in the sea, walks around, picks another one, throws it in the sea. The guy goes, what are you doing? You know, that's ridiculous. You can't save all of them. You can't make a, a difference to all of them. And he goes, well, it makes a difference to this one. Just do what you can, where you can, with what you've got. That's all God requires of anybody. Do what you can, where you are, with what you've got. That's it. Let him handle the end result. He's got it. I hear it all the time from people in my situation that have grandkids. Oh, I'm so concerned about the world we left for our grandkids. Yeah, there, there are things, reasons to be concerned. An, an incredible, outrageous, sinful debt. There are things like that, yes. But God is going to be in the future too. He'll handle it. Um, any questions or comments on this, by the way? You guys are being very quiet. Oh, air conditioner's on. There is a God. I feel the Holy Spirit moving. <laughs> All right. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of, of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? Just a Semitic way of saying, I'm about to use a parable, guys. It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Stop. When God uses language, he uses language like we use language, sometimes using hyperbole sometimes using synecdoche. If you don't know what that means, synecdoche is when you use a, um, a, a whole to represent a part. For example, Jesus saying that he would be three days and three nights in the grave. Was he 72 hours in? No. 
He went in on a Friday out on a Sunday. So three calendar days, but the hours were a lot less than that, right? But we don't go, oh, the Bible made a mistake. No, no. It wasn't written in legal. It was written in spoken, used language. Think of it. The wife says, I'll be ready in a minute. Right? Or husband says, I'll take out the garbage in a bit. Garbage has a good chance of evolving into a, a new life form before he actually gets to it. Right? We use language like this all the time. And so, all the time. All the time. Do I use language like that all the time? No, sometimes I, I snack or I sleep. But you, everybody here understood what I meant, correctly? Correct, rather? All right. Is the mustard seed the smallest seed on earth? No. He's just saying, it's really small, isn't it, guys? Yeah. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Is it the largest of all garden plants? To them, yes. He's not talking to people in the Amazon. So let him talk to these people. Kind of like when Paul says, the word of God has gone into all the earth. Had it really hit the Inuit and Alouette and northern, northeastern Siberia? No. But it was all Paul's world. So let them use language like they, they use language. Don't try to make it a legal text. All right. Little seed goes in, planted, grows, becomes the largest of art with such branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Do your job, even if it just looks like a little thing. Just a little thing. There's so many stories we could use for this. There was um, a story once back in, 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 around the turn of the last century, around 1900, when churches had uh, big seminars, they called them gospel meetings or revivals, and they could last three and four weeks. And then they would send in reports to brotherhood publications that used to be subscribed to around and it would say, this church held this, and these many people came forward, and these many were restored, these many people were baptized. At the end of one of them, it said, you know, they did all this work, and this great preacher was there, and the gospel was proclaimed, but only little, and it named a little boy, was baptized. It seemed like it was, eh. That little boy grew up to be our first missionary to India. He translated the scripture into several different languages, his, his life converted tens of thousands of people to Jesus in dark corners of the world. But at the time, it looked like a mustard seed. That's all we got. Well, I don't see much, does it? Until you see what God can do with it. That's another reason why we like to give our money. And by the way, sometimes it's a hard, time, hard thing to give that kind of money. We know that. And we understand if you get a hard time too. We get that. I would never tell you that you had to give like we give. All I'm saying is, when we give, one of the reasons we do it is we think he could probably do better with it than we can. People, you want to make money? Follow me. Now, hang on. If I buy something, wait. Tomorrow, on sale. Or, found to be toxic and cancer-causing. If you want to uh, follow me, when I buy petrol... It's what you people call guys. <laughs> when I buy petrol, wait. Tomorrow, Saudi Arabia will have pumped extra in or something, 
And they'll even give you a Flintstone jelly glass or something, you know, like the old days. They'll give you something. We, one of our times in America, my dad made sure that we always filled up at this place and got the jelly glasses. Do you remember those? And, uh, and I dropped one and broke. I was like seven or so. And I still remember my mom saying, that's why we can't have nice things. I'm going, what was that? There's a petrol station jelly glass. And, yes, but we worked hard to get Dino. And now we don't have Dino anymore. And you explain it to Pebbles. I'm not telling her. You know, it's, it's, oh, people just do what you can with what you got. And I, I, I don't know how to make money but I know what God can do with the stuff I give him. So he's saying, put it in his hands. See what he does with it. When I did counseling for those years, I didn't feel, there was not a day I felt I nailed it because it was not natural for me. I got to where I would actually say a prayer out loud at the end of the day. I'd walk to the door, turn around, lock it, standing out there, just, beat up emotionally Uh, and I'd look at God and I'd put my hands like this and I'd say I've done everything I could did I do it right? I don't think so did I say what I should have said? probably not did I say some things I shouldn't have said? unquestionably so but God I've got a wife and a wee girl at home and I need to go play with my girl and love my wife and I would turn my hands like this like dropping it you got this because I can't carry it. It was hugely helpful to do that every single day. By the way, sometimes the prayer would drag out a bit more as I talked about what I was dropping. I can't handle that. You're going to have to handle it. And I, there's a phrase that I learned from those days that I still tell people who are so concerned that they sometimes, it's, it's going to endanger their own joy because of a situation in front of them. And I'll say, somebody already died for them. You don't have to. Let it go. Turn your hands over. Let it go. My kids learned early that I was not a handyman. And they'd come to me with a broken toy. They wanted it fixed. But they weren't very hopeful. And sometimes I would see that I could fix it. And I would try to take it from them. And their hands would stay attached because they'd let go of toys before and those toys disappeared. <laughs> let it go. Many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand, but he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. People say, why does he use parables? The same reason news does. Now, we're going to see this. People, we could talk about the healthcare law and run figures and Excel sheets, or somebody could run those. I don't do those. I believe those are probably druidic black magic thingies. But anyway, um, people run this, and we get people yelling at each other. We don't do that on the news. Why? Doesn't convince anybody. So they'll bring, here's this young mother with pre-existing, pre-existing condition. She's going to suffer and probably die. What's going to happen to her children? We tell a story. Then people on the other side say, here's a small business owner about to go bankrupt because the ACA is causing them to go bankrupt. Both of these stories are true. So instead of telling you facts, what are they doing? They're giving you parables. 
So we work with the parables. Understand that that's what they're doing on the news. When they tell you a story, they, don't, they do not care about this person. They're using a parable to advance one side or the other of the equation. Whenever a politician says they're in it for the children, <clears throat> seriously, that's why you have an expense account and we have to call you the esteemed senator and you get, no, I don't think so. Yeah, you're using the children for that. You're using the stories. Jesus used stories for our benefit, never for his. He did have an agenda. Love. Love one another. I like this. All right, I'm so glad we got time for this one. This is one of my favorites. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Again, I, I want away. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. That's what I'm going to be doing this week. <clears throat> Love you. I'm leaving you. I'm hopping on a boat. I'm sailing away from you. I might come back. It's possible. We'll see. No, I'll be back because I do love you and um, it's required. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to play Jesus and going away. People say, oh, where are you going? Don't care. Don't care. Hopping on a boat. Um, I, love the, I love the sea. I've always loved the sea. There were also other boats with them. Oh, rats. <laughs> other people own boats. Oh, let's go where he is. You can almost see Jesus going, Well, a furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Okay, let's stop for just a minute, shall we? These are fishermen. They've seen storms before, but this one scares them. And they're all in there going, We're going to die. We're going to die. Waves are coming. Jesus is asleep. So they wake. Why? 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 It's like, we're all going to die. We thought you, you wouldn't want to miss it. Really? I've been on flights before that were awful. I mean, I got, I got off one bruised, literally, being slammed against the side of the thing. You know, you're on air yak. You know, they, they, they've, they're not really good at this. So I've been on before, and coming back once from, from Breton, we were in a bad squall. I may have told you this before. The man across the aisle from me looked at me, and he goes, you're a, you're a clergyman, aren't you? I still, to this day, have no idea how he knew. I was wearing a BBC Scotland sweatshirt. I, didn't, I, I wasn't glowing or anything. I, I don't know what. And I looked at him, and I went, yeah, I swan. And he goes, uh, and he laughed. And he goes, can't you do anything about this? And I went, nope. I'm in sales, not management. You know, and, um, <laughs> no, but we're over the ocean, so if we start plummeting, you might want to say some words after me before we hit the water. Um, because I think we could call that baptism. The, um, there's a lot, go there are so many voices in my head, and most of them don't like me. Anyway, a um, few of them aren't keen at you either. Um, the, the point I'm trying to make here is, they're in a squall. Why, why would you, if I'm sleeping through it, don't wake me up. It's all right. I've had people go, oh, it's a tornado. Wake up, we're all going to go sit in the closet and be scared. Really? You know, I don't want to be, you know, you know why they want you to go to a closet? So they know where the bodies are after, you know. Have you checked the closet? Oh, there they are. It's kind of like, kind of getting, I've had, get in the bathtub, they'll say. No, I'm not going to have the paper said his, he was found in the bathtub. I figure if God wants me, he'll get me. This annoys my family, by the way. 
Uh, you know, they always want to go to the safe room. I said, really? Okay. Enjoy. I'll go tell Jesus um, if he takes me. Why would you wake him up? Now, they do. He got up and rebuked the wind. That's interesting. Why wouldn't you just say, oh, I would like for the weather to be better now. And it stops. Instead of saying, wind, stop it. Well, in the Bible, Baal was a demon that considered himself a god. Remember Baal? He's a lot in the Bible. And some of, the, some of his servants, uh, demons that serve him are like Beelzebub, right? Baal was the god of storms. And every time Jesus crosses water to do something big on the other side, like cast out demons, storms hit. Now, I've had people say, well, Baal's not doing that anymore. That's interesting. What book of the Bible do you find that one in? I don't know. I think most storms are meteor, uh, meteor I can't even say the word now, weather caused. How's that? Uh, but who knows? Tsunamis and such. Sometimes I look and go, why then? Why now? What just happened here? Well, he rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still. I love it. In one version it says, quiet, he said sternly. <clears throat> All right, can we just un unholy this one a bit? The word here is the same word you use for shut up. So they wake him up, and it's like, ah, oh, he's having a good dream too. Uh, dream that the other boat sunk. And then, you know, he, he looks up and he goes, all right, stop it. And <clears throat> storm's gone. That is so cool. Because they're, ha, ha. Think about that for a second. That would be so freaky. And they're a freak. <laughs> Jesus, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? They were terrified. All right, let's go back up through. Do you see them being terrified of the storm? They thought they were going to die, but they weren't terrified. They were terrified at who was in the boat. <laughs> who is this? They're in the boat. He's sitting right there. They're going, who is this guy? Guys, he can hear you. God. Just talk to him. They were, they were more afraid of him than of the storm. Isn't that a cool story? I love that story. Because I'm like that all the time. I'm just, all the time. There's another hyperbole. You know, I'm heading up to the airport, and there's traffic. Is there always traffic? Well, God reminds me, well, you're part of the traffic. The reason there's traffic is because people like you got on the road. I mean, why is there other traffic? You know, and, and, and there are times, you know, I, I get angry, or I'll get upset, or how could this happen? And God's just saying, you know, really, uh, you either believe I've got this or you don't. What's it going to be? Any questions or comments you've got on that one? Anybody else love that story? It's one of my favorite stories. My other favorite story will come later. Can't I'm so excited, but I uh, can't tell you yet. Maybe we can do this one in five. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This could have been what the storm was all about. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Well, this is a problem. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell at his knees in front of him. Here's a man terrified everybody, but he would fall down in front of Jesus. There's something else, something special going on here. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Jesus is now addressing the spirit. What's your name? And the spirit gets a little snarky. Instead of giving the names, he goes, Oh, there are lots of us. We're legion. We're many he said, now just, you know, don't throw us out. You know, don't send us out of the area. The scripture says, I'm not sure I understand all of it, but it says when a, when a demon is cast out, it wanders in dry places looking for another place to inhabit. Just be aware. They didn't want to go there. Well, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. The impure spirits came out, went into the pigs. The herd, and about 2,000 in number, rushed. That would have been rather beautiful sight, actually. I've never seen wafting over the plains, 2,000 pigs. But then, pinball, and they're all jumping into the herd. About two, they rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Got to stop right here. I was at a, um, a northern university of some note, rhymes with University of Michigan, and, oh, there it was, anyway, to talk to some atheists for a few days. And one of them, a lot of them knew their Bibles, and they were saying, here's an example of Jesus could not be the Son of God, and if he was the Son of God, then he did not keep the law and was not holy. And I said, oh, please, tell me. Well, if he was the Son of God, and he knew throwing demons into the pigs would cause pigs then to run off into the water, he defrauded and robbed the herdsmen of their pigs. Because he, they, they didn't have anything to do with this. And now they've lost their income. Everybody's nodding and going, oh, that's a good point. And I'm looking at him going, they weren't supposed to have pigs. This is supposed to be a pig-free area. So it was a twofer. It was an exorcism and a depigification. <laughs> real quiet in the room. I guess they were expecting somebody more holy than me. I'm not really sure. I'm not afraid. As the King James says, ain't scared. Um, it doesn't. Go, don't go look for it. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. I would too. It's interesting. People went out to see what had happened. There's probably still bobbing out there. They came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Look at this again. Jesus does something good, and they're more afraid of the new than they are of the thing they were used to. This is one of the hardest things about counseling. And if, you ever, if you're involved in any of the helping professions, you know this. When you break some people's phobias, habits, and the like, you've robbed them of some of their joy and identity. 
the hardest people to treat. I got to where I refused once I realized what I was up against are those with self-pity. Because self-pity, that's their power. They walk into a room, everybody must cater to them. At a party, even if they find themselves having fun, they were, oh. So now everybody must check on them. And they didn't want to get better. This was part of their identity. And I would go, no, I, I, if I rob you of your power, you'll never love me. That you like this. And we had some interesting discussions about this. But it's true. I know it sounds harsh, but it is true. And if you're in the helping professions, you know this. They were terrified because they were used to the crazy guy. But this kind of power, they're not used to. I'm not going to finish it until another three weeks. 